united together with Christ in perfect holiness, is our most natural condition, and heaven is our most natural home. next two phrases would be that we should be uh, holy and blameless before and then the last the final phrase before him okay so in turning to these two phrases what we find first of all is something that we would know of as sort of a, a intermediate purpose and an ultimate purpose or a, an immediate purpose and then a final purpose and what paul is saying to us here is the immediate purpose or the near purpose He hasn't gotten to the ultimate purpose yet, the ultimate purpose of God's choosing. He'll get there. We'll finally get there eventually. But he hasn't gotten there yet. He's talking about this near sort of purpose. And we understand the difference between an immediate purpose and an ultimate purpose. If um, if you were, let's say, uh, baking a cake and I came into the kitchen and I said, uh, why are you why are you cracking that egg? Um, You might say, well, I'm cracking the egg because I got to beat up the egg. That would be true. But you also will be cracking the egg because it has to go into the cake, which would also be true. Or you might be cracking the egg because it has to go into the cake because the cake has to go to the birthday party, right? So there's bigger purposes and then there's an immediate purpose. And we understand the difference between that. Uh, I was reading just in Genesis 12. Remember where God says to Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing to all the nations. So there's this immediate purpose of God blessing Abraham, but then there's the larger purpose so that he can be a blessing to the nations. So we, we kind of understand that concept, right? So here is the immediate purpose. The immediate purpose is, the purpose for our choosing is that we should be holy and blameless before him. The larger purpose, the ultimate purpose will come in a few weeks, but this purpose is that we should be holy and blameless before him. So let's talk for just a little bit about these two words, holy and blameless, and kind of get our arms around those two words. And then from that, we'll uh, develop an understanding of Paul's point, I think. So these two words, holy and blameless, are very common to us, familiar to us. In fact, uh, we'll take the first one first, holy. Uh, We just read that word back in verse 2. It was translated differently in verse 2, but in verse 2, Paul said, uh, Paul, an apostle of, of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the... Saints. So it's there's translated saints. It's the same word in a different form, but it's the same word. The saints or the holy ones, we could say, the set apart ones, the separated ones. So we talked about that word saints. It's it's uh, it's the second most common way that the scriptures refer to the people of God. And when Paul calls us saints or the, the saints there in Ephesus, when he calls them saints, he is speaking of their called outness, they're set apartness, they are set apart from the dark world unto the light, and they are set apart to have characters that are conformed to the character of God rather than characters that are conformed to the world around them, right? So we talked about all of that with the word saint. Here's translated uh, holy, but the same word. So we come across that word all over scripture, the idea of being set apart, separated, for the purpose of God, specifically for the purpose of having our character molded to the character of God's character instead of the character of the world around us. The second word is this word blameless. 
And that's also a very common word in Scripture. In fact, that word shows up most of all, or or I should say the, the Hebrew equivalent of that word, shows up in the Old Testament all over the place. Can you imagine what context that word blameless shows up in the Old Testament over and over? Anybody want to take a guess at that? Yeah, the sacrifices. That's the word that described how the sacrifice was to be. Here it's translated blameless, but it could be translated blemishless or without blemish. And so that described the Old Testament sacrifices. They were to be without blemish. Now, why were the Old Testament sacrifices to be without blemish? Was God just this perfectionist and and didn't want second best? And and if you're going to kill a a sheep, then it better be your best sheep you got? No. No. The sacrifices were to be blemishless because what is a blemish? It's an outward display of the effect of sin. A sheep with a crooked leg has a crooked leg because there's sin in the world. A sheep with a a misformed head has a misformed head because there's sin in the world. And so these blemishes are outward displays or or visible displays of the presence of sin in the world. And so the sacrifice was to be a sacrifice without this visible display of sin in the world. That's where the word kind of came from, this, this word blameless. Now that eventually, by the time we get to the New Testament, that comes to describe, of course, Jesus. Jesus who is called uh, the Lamb in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, the Lamb without blemish or spot. So, the purpose of God in the choosing is to, is to make a people that are holy or set apart unto His character and without this outward visible sign of the sin of the world, right? We talk about... Uh, blamelessness. Remember when we talked about elders and how elders are supposed to be blameless and we were careful to say, you know, that doesn't mean sinless. What that means is that, that you can't bring a charge against an elder that says, well, they got this pattern of sin in their life, right? And that's sort of the same idea. This outward manifestation, this visible manifestation that all the world can see of the presence of sin. So it came eventually to, uh, to describe Jesus, but this is the, this is the point that, uh, that this was the immediate purpose of God's choosing of us. Now, it's interesting how, the, how often it is that the Scriptures put the two of these ideas together, these twin ideas of God choosing His people and the point of His choosing being that you would be holy or blameless or above reproach. Take a look at Colossians chapter 1, and verse 22. Christ has now reconciled in His body by a flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Or John 15 and verse 16, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you. So there's the idea of choosing. Appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And there's the idea of bearing fruit or being conformed to His image. And that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father's name, He may give you. So these twin ideas of chosen and chosen for the purpose of holiness are oftentimes put together in the Scriptures. Now, um, so here we got kind of got our, our arms around the holy and the blameless part. Let's put this now together with the bef- uh, before Him part. That you should be holy and blameless before Him. 
So this word that's translated before him shows up in Scripture and other places, for example, like 2 Corinthians 12, verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you, says Paul? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. So there's that word there translated in the sight of God. So you get the idea. Paul says, have you been thinking that we've been defending ourselves for these human sort of motives? No, no, no. It is before God. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking of Christ. So Paul says, no, no, no. Our preaching, our teaching is done from the perspective that God is watching us. We are doing this for God, not for you. We are saying what we're saying, preaching what we're preaching because God is watching us. Clearly, that's the idea that Paul has there. Or take a look at Colossians 1 verse 22 again. Christ is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you. And there's the word in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Or uh, Jude verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. And here it is before the presence of his glory with great joy. Same word, translated into English in a a little bit different ways. But you see the idea. The idea is, this is before the sight of God. Remember Elijah? Elijah who lived his life with the recognition, the understanding that he's living his life before God, that God is watching his life. Here's the same sort of idea. This idea that we are chosen for the purpose of holiness, holiness of life. Righteousness of life, not Christ's righteousness given to us, but real, actual holiness of life. We are chosen for holiness of life before the eyes of God. Remember Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews 4.12, we're all naked and exposed before the eyes of God. So let me suggest to us that what Paul is saying here He's speaking of the genuineness of our holiness before God. Not our righteousness given to us by Christ, but the true genuineness of holiness, the authentic holiness that we are being made into. Why? Because if in the sight of God, He sees us as holy, the burning eyes of God that see all things, if He sees us as holy, we're holy. There's no unholiness being hidden by by some sort of thing in our life, some sort of mask that we're wearing in our life. We can't hide that from God. Before God, if He sees us as not just holy in Christ's righteousness, but holy in life, we are truly holy. So Paul is speaking here of the authentic, genuine holiness that we are being made into that is the purpose of God choosing us. God chose us in eternity because He wanted to make a people that were holy before Him. Do you ever long for real holiness? Do you ever just get so weary of the dichotomy that is true in our life, the dichotomy that tells us that we are righteous in Christ, but yet... We are so unrighteous. Do you ever get just weary of that burden and just long to be free of the burden and to just for one day, just one day be really truly holy? 
We won't be truly holy for one day. We will be holy for 10,000 billion centuries. And not just holy in the sight of others, holy in the sight of God. We will praise Him with pure lips, with hearts that are pure in motive, with nothing to hide. Can you imagine being before God with nothing to hide? Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to hope. Well, I hope God doesn't ask me about that. I hope God doesn't start talking about this over here. I hope the subject doesn't come to that. Nothing to hide. Because before Him, we are genuinely, truly, authentically holy. You know the feeling you get, that spiritual mountaintop feeling when you've had some sort of encounter with God or some sort of experience with God and you get that sort of spiritual mountaintop? You know what that is? That is just a brief little taste of holiness. A brief little moment when your sins seem to have taken the background, seem to be behind a curtain, and you can kind of forget about them a little bit for just a little bit and enjoy the presence of God. Paul is speaking of the day in which there's no curtain. There's no sweeping anything under the rug. There's no partial joy because God right now isn't looking at your sin. There is true, total, and authentic joy because there is no sin for Him to see. Perfect holiness is infinitely more to be desired than perfect happiness. You know that? What if God were to come to you today and say, I will grant to you either perfect holiness or perfect happiness? Which would you jump to take? We as Christians know that only imperfect holiness is perfect happiness. Perfect holiness is infinitely more to be desired. God, give us hearts that yearn for perfect holiness. Give us hearts that hate the sin that dwells, that remains in us. Give us hearts that see perfect holiness as the ultimate goal, the the end of our race. So he is speaking of a time of true and genuine holiness, a time, Revelation 22 and verse 4, that says we will see His face. We will see His face. And then finally, Paul is speaking here of a time of our ultimate destiny. So now we just sort of put all these phrases together and I want to step back and just say, here is kind of what these four phrases brought to us. Our ultimate destiny. We were conceived, we began, so to speak, in the mind of God, united together with Christ. And that is our most natural condition and heaven is our most natural home. United together with Christ in perfect holiness is our most natural condition and heaven is our most natural home. Why? Because that's how God conceived us. Now, the deceptiveness of sin tells you that that's a foreign concept to you. That true holiness, 
That's not something you can really relate to. That heaven, you can't really relate to that. The deceptiveness of sin tells you this is your natural home and this is your natural state. But Paul's words here in verse 4 are don't believe that. Your most natural condition is sinless holiness united together with Christ and your most natural home is together with Him in heaven. Let us yearn for that day. What a day that will be. Like the song says, what a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see. 